Welcome to season three of Own It from Women Lead Change. I'm Tiffany O'Donnell, the CEO of Women Lead Change. On today's episode, we'll be talking to my friend Heidi Parkhurst. Women Lead Change boasts a long history with our friend Heidi, who served as one of our founding board members. As market president, Heidi's Bank of America's leader for the Iowa market. In addition, she's the senior vice president of wealth management and senior resident director of Merrill Lynch, overseeing 39 advisors and support staff out of the Quad Cities. She's a field champion for diversity and inclusion within global wealth and investment management and works with her colleagues across the mid-America market on their diversity and inclusion efforts. Heidi's involved with many community organizations and charities. She's an avid runner, to say the least, and in her, the rest of her spare time, she takes that a step further and trains for Ironman events. Heidi Parkhurst joining us now. One of my very first superpower friends. You're like an ama- you're just an amazing human, Heidi. Well, thank you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. More from a professional standpoint, um, I have been in the financial services industry for the last 30 years, about 27 of them at Merrill Lynch, um, which was then joined Bank of America about eight years ago. Um, so I've spent the vast majority of my career uh, at that firm um, providing financial services. Um, in my spare time, I have a family. I participate in a number of sports activities and participate in my community um, working with folks that are interested in advancing the position of women and children. Um, short of that, I don't do a lot more. No, they don't have time for anything else. Oh my gosh. So when you started, I mean, so what's your official title now? Um, so I have multiple titles cause I, uh, hold multiple, uh, hats. Um, so I'm a senior, uh, vice president and financial advisor for Merrill Lynch wealth management. I'm a senior vice president and resident director for the Quad Cities office of Merrill Lynch. And then I am Iowa president for Bank of America. Wow. Yeah. No wonder you you have time for, (laughs) how do you find the time? Honestly, what was your first job at Merrill? Um, So I joined Merrill Lynch um, in in their trainee program. Um, It was called the professional development program. Um, So I, went through two years of, uh, of a tr- pretty intense training program where you become licensed for both your series seven and 63 and 66 at the time, and then started to build a book of business. Um, so I did that for a couple of years, graduated the program, um, then worked, you know, basically worked on my own for the next couple of years and five years into my career at Merrill Lynch, someone said, oh, do you want to manage an office? And everybody said, don't do it. So I said, oh, I'd love to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I became the resident director 21 years ago. And at that point in time, there was a, you know, maybe a couple dozen women um, in the leadership capacity uh, 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 for branch offices. There's about 600 branch offices back then. Um, and there were maybe 24 women. Wow. Wow. What was that like? Um, you know, the financial services industry, uh, similarly now, but back then was about 97% male. Um, so it was always interesting, right? Cause the vast majority of your time, 
you're the lone female in the room. You know, you could go to meetings and be one or two females in the room. It's a very male dominated industry. Um, I wouldn't say not uninviting, but not inviting either at that point in time. Um, but it, you know, through the years that's changed, it's been recognized that women really do serve well in the capacity of financial advisors. They tend to, um, you know, give advice and guidance, be more empathetic, be more, uh, you know, look at the risk of things in a different fashion than our male counterparts. Um, I've also been relatively, I have a relatively dominant personality. So, you know, I did not really have a problem in the industry working with men. It, it that wasn't it. I, it just was unusual to be one of very few females in the room. Yeah, for sure. And that has to be so different now. Oh, so different now. So different now, you know, so in my market president role, um, for Iowa president, you know, more than 50% of my leadership team in the state of Iowa is female. Um, so, you know, my market executive is a female. There's two Merrill Lynch directors that are females. Um, my commercial banker is female. And so you'll, it's a much different, uh, it's a much different look and feel by design, mm -hmm. right? Um, the mm -hmm. more inclusive that you are, the more you're able to service clients, right? Clients want mm -hmm. us to come to them with an inclusive team and in an inclusive environment. So, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I, as recent as yesterday, I had somebody say to me that, you know, while theoretically, you know, you want to work with more women as a woman, but then she pointed out that, you know, her worst boss was a woman and, you know, working with all women can be hard which, you know, I do hear that often, I have to say, um, you know, what's, what's your take on that? You've always been somebody who's never shied away from, from lifting up other women. Are there different dynamics? Um, I do think that there are different dynamics depend, you know, but I think that goes from person to person, right? So, um, and I do believe, and I, and I will say this of myself, right? Um, I grew up in an environment and in a time where men and women were uh, given different, uh, you know, biases, right? If you're an aggressive woman, then you're kind of bitchy. Nowadays, women that are dominant are just decisive, right? And so the rhetoric has changed. And young women and young men, you know, they grew up playing on the same teams. They grew up, you know, part, you know, participating and supporting each other. So I find that some of the women in my uh, peer group may be a little more difficult to work with than some of the younger women that I encounter now. Um, but I will also say I, for the first time in my 27 year career, I, for the first time I have a female boss. And that's 27 years in the making. And so, um, and I, God knows I am much calmer now than I was 20 years ago. Um, but I, I do believe that when women get to a certain level, even if they are not experiencing any kind of bias or any kind of 
you know, issues, it's still our jobs to make sure that we are lifting up the rest of the folks that may be having those issues. You know, I'm in a point in my career um, that I teasingly say I could poke the bear, um, you know, without getting my hand mm-hmm. bitten off these days. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I don't mean poke the bear in a bad way. I mean, poke the bear in asking questions that may have been too difficult to ask a decade ago for me, right? We're now, I'm far more secure in my my sh- own shoes where I can say this doesn't feel right to me or this doesn't look right or have we thought about this? And so mm-hmm. I think asking those questions and bringing along other people with you, um, you know, is part of the requirements that come with success, right? Mm-hmm. And that that's for men and women. That's for men and women. Mm-hmm. So for sure, for sure. And I've noticed too, some of the most successful women I know have gotten to a point in their lives where they don't necessarily care if they get credit. You know, they've been through, you know, they tend to be, you know, later in their careers, but they're able to do really great things because they're not so concerned about who gets the credit. Well, and I would say at some, I would agree with that a hundred percent. I think you get somewhere and I'm going to talk about career credit, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, there's other things like in my sporting event, I want credit for my successes, but, but in career anymore, no, I, I, I don't need it anymore. In fact, um, would prefer to stay out of that line that limelight, right? To, mm-hmm. to kind of lead from behind anymore, because I think it's time for the next people to move, fo- move mm-hmm. forward. And, you know, through your career, you need that, right? You, yeah. The credit, the, the opportunity to be pushed and, you know, the need to take a little bit of risk. I, I mean, I don't even know if it feels like risk to me anymore. Right? I mean, I must something. be really getting old. <laughs> no, what a what? That's just so liberating, though. It has to be so liberating. Yeah. Um, you, among the things that I find so interesting about you, certainly your work as a professional, your work as someone who really made a decision to transform your life. Um, you know, we know you professionally, personally, you're also incredibly interesting. Can you give us a little bit of background about, you know, where you've been personally and where you are today? So, yeah, so I would, you know, I always have to tell people I, up to a certain point in my life, lived to work, right? I loved work. I love work. Um, mm-hmm. But I spent an, a disproportionate amount of time working. And then shortly, in and around the time my dad became very ill and and um, passed away, um, I, I don't know if I had an epiphany, but all of a sudden I decided, oh my goodness, time is flying by and I want to do something. Um, and I would tell you it was like a risk, right? I already had taken a bunch of career risks already satisfied, felt satisfied doing those. So I needed a new risk. So, you know, I decided I should buy a bicycle, hire a coach and sign up for an Ironman. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Why not? Why not? (laughs) Why not? I didn't even own a swimsuit at the time. 
And so kind of started focusing more on, you know, participating and racing and, and what that meant and what that looked like. And I tell people even now, um, and it, this is different for everybody. Everybody has a different one. So, but racing is mine, right? If you ever find something in your life you said yes to that so profoundly changed what you do, you would talk about it all the time. And that's racing for me, right? And so it profoundly changed my life how I operate, how I utilize my time, how I engage my family, um, what I know and can tell you about my body and its ability to perform, and the amount of mental wherewithal that I actually had that I didn't know I had. I mean, when you get 15 hours into a race, you're so dehydrated, you're throwing everything up, everybody around you is quitting. It's like, a hundred degrees heat index and your mind only tells you that you are going to finish. It is a much, much different world. And Mm -hmm. so I love it. I get great enjoyment out of it. Um, and I find also now that I get a ton of enjoyment, um, from a charitable standpoint, doing things, um, that are, wildly personally meaningful, right? And so uh, there's a lot of great charities and there's a lot of great things I spend time with. All of them are have something to do with the position of women and children. Um, but over the last several years, like I've micro-focused my personal giving down to food, right? Mm-hmm. You can't, you, a child cannot do anything if, I mean, we've all been hangry, right? Mm -hmm, Imagine mm -hmm. what it would be like every day to get up and just wonder where you're going to get the next meal from or, you know, how, how that like intimately affects every other thing you do in a day, learning your health, your ability to move your body, those kind of things. So Mm -hmm. good for you. You're so right. You're so right though. And I know We've had conversations about, first of all, how many Ironmans have you done? I have done six fulls and six halves and 26 marathons. I'll be darn. And something, you've got goals about continents too, don't you? Yeah. Well, I'm doing, this year I'm doing Des Moines Ironman and Alaska. I was supposed to do Barcelona, Spain, but you know, this whole COVID thing keeps getting in the way. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Darn it. Darn it. That's amazing though, Heidi. And you have no, you, you actually continued to get better. Is that right? You're like improving and getting personal best times and consistently I, yep. getting better. Yep. I qual. Yeah. This last year I qualified for, I got ninth in Des Moines, which qualified me for worlds at 70.3 distance half Ironman. So I did that in St. George, Utah. I qualified for my first Boston marathon this last year. Good um, for you. I won Chicago triathlon in my age group. Um, I teasingly say I think I ended up being ranked like 111th in the world in my age group last year at, at half Ironman distance. So okay, that's phenomenal. Yeah, there's there's, crazy. there's nothing funny nothing funny about that. That's just serious yeah. business, my friend. Yeah. 
Mount Mercy University was founded in 1928 by a group of bold women intent on breaking barriers. Inspired by the Sisters of Mercy, Mount Mercy is committed to fulfilling their mission to expand abilities, equip you to lead with purpose, and empower you to accomplish your goals. Mount Mercy offers graduate, accelerated, and traditional programs to people from all walks of life. Their forward-thinking, future-focused approach puts you on the path toward success. Mount Mercy University. The future is female. Their past was too. Discover more at mtmercy.edu. So how does your how does your family like how, how do you integrate this with your with your family? Um well I would well I'm going to be a grandma for the first time this year so you'll have to That's ask wild. me how that goes after that. But Iron Woman grandma yeah, I would tell you, people tell me all the time they do not have enough time to do it. And I would tell people, you have enough time, you just probably don't utilize your time well. And so I'm a very process-driven person, both in my personal life as well as my work life, because a solid process, not that you don't have to refine your processes from now, now and again, but a solid process leads to efficient utilization. So I get up at about five and by 8.30, I can have three hours of training in, right? But that means the night before, before I go to bed, I've laid out my clothes for the next day. You know, for work, I lay out seven, you know, I lay out 10 days of work clothes at the beginning of, you know, every other week. You know, I figured I wasted two weeks a year picking out clothes. So I don't do that anymore. I just, you know, it, this is my rotation and I'm sticking to it. You know, it's not like I'm seeing the same people every day. Right. Mm -hmm, I get up mm -hmm. in the morning and I train, um, you know, and so by the end of the week, you know, I, I tell people if your screen time is more than X number of hours a week, and that's different for people depending on how they work. But if your screen time is more than X number of hours a week, you can find an hour in there to exercise. And it doesn't have to be an Ironman, right? It doesn't have to be an Ironman. Um, but we waste a lot of time, right? We waste a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And so I try to use utilize my time and my calendar very efficiently. So people who are listening right now that, that know we need to start. First of all, why do we need to start? And, and second of all, what is what is just one thing that we can do when this podcast is over? So for, I, I'm going to address kind of women and I'll go with women in my own peer group, right? And so right now, a lot of those women are having hot flashes. They're gaining belly fat. They're losing energy and all of those things can not be completely remedied by exercise, but certainly can be assisted. And when I say exercise, I tell people really what you're shooting is for 150 minutes. And I know that seems like a lot, but really it's only 30 minutes, five times a week, or, you know, a couple of days, an hour a week and, and, and whatnot. It takes 16 weeks to build a habit. And I know people say four weeks or whatnot. I'm here to tell you it's 16 um, when, when you're talking exercise. Um, and I would identify a time in the day where you feel like your energy is the best. So if you're a morning person, do it in the morning. If you're a night person, do it at night. Um, if you can squeeze in a half hour over your lunch hour, whatever it happens to be, but then pick something you enjoy, mm. right? Because you're yeah. more likely yeah. to stick to it. So if it's 
30 minutes of yoga. Um, and then I need you to walk briskly for 30 minutes or you like to walk. Um, and then I would also tell you, if you really want to get started, everybody needs an accountability partner, right? Mm -hmm. Find one mm -hmm. person that's going to be accountable with you or a group of people that are going to be accountable with you um, and do it together, right? Do it together. It's all those things will get better. Yeah. The hot flashes abate a little bit more. Endorphins that your body will set off from exercise kind of reduces some of that cortisol that gives you that belly fat. So, I mean, it does all kinds of great things for you, as well as it gives you a feeling of well-being. Um, so, you know, if anybody needs an accountability partner, I can, you know, there's plenty of, there's plenty of ways to find them. Yeah, good advice. How, is, how have you transformed from day one of your commitment to this? How have you transformed mentally and physically, I would say? So when you're talking endurance, pure endurance exercise, the mental modifications is, is amazing. And I would tell you that's the most amazing part because you've uh, people think that their body can't do something. I, your body is capable of doing more than you ever thought possible times two, right? Wow. Maybe times three. But you have to get your brain to the point of where you do not let it stop. So in the beginning... I, one of my coaches told me, tell everybody, you know, you're going to do an Ironman. Everybody. I'm random strangers, the guy next or every single person you run into. And the reason for that is you're less likely to quit. Because in your mind, if you only have two people to tell you failed, right? Mm -hmm. Then it's easy to quit. That's super mm -hmm. easy to quit. And when you're out there and you're thinking, oh my God, I told everybody. It's hard mm -hmm. to quit. It's it is. Hard to quit. And then, and so, you know, have a goal, write it down, share it with other people and keep doing it. Um, so I would tell you my mental fortitude um, is extremely different. Um, I, I am daily grateful for what my body can do. Um, and then I'm also, you know, um, could not have met a more eclectic, um, group of people than when I started doing this, because I, I will tell you in, in endurance, in the endurance field, you'll find a lot of athletes who gave up one addiction for another. So there are a lot of people out there that do this, that have, have their share of, um, skeletons in their closets or, you mm -hmm. know, you know, mm -hmm. devils on their shoulders or whatever you want to want to call it. Yeah. So I've met an amazing, amazing group of people. Um, and since we're going to have an Ironman in Des Moines, Iowa, I'm going to tell anybody and everybody on this too, is the most amazing thing you will ever see in your life is to go watch the last hour of an Ironman. Because that last hour, hour 16 to hour 17, are going to be the people that either suffered out there um, have a body that wasn't necessarily originally meant to do an Ironman. Um, but when you watch those people come across the line, it is the most emotional, most amazing thing mm. you can ever see. I get so, goosebumps hearing you talk about it. I can only imagine. It's amazing. You say that. Yeah. What is something about you that may have not always necessarily felt like a strength, 
You may think differently today about that though. And, and how do you own it? Don't know whether I would call this a strength, but I will tell you how I own it. So um, I don't even know, Tiffany, I think you and I've probably had this conversation before. I'm very dyslexic, right? So I, um, as a young person or even early in my career, tried to do everything to hide um, that particular, um, I, I hate to call it disability, but I guess people do call it, but to hide that, that, that I was dyslexic. Right. And so, and it, it takes an exorbitant amount of effort. And so somewhere along the way, I just had to, for myself and the effort that it takes to let people know that in certain areas I struggle. Um, and, you know, so I have preferences. I'd rather talk on the phone than send an email. I'd rather talk on the phone than text. They're very difficult for me. So, um, so it, you know, I think that sometimes we take our weaknesses and we try to hide them because we consider them to be failures where we, it's okay to tell people what they are and then just own that that's going to be something that you're never going to be great at. Right. And so, yeah. um, but it ha hasn't always been easy. And then, you know, the other thing is I think when you get a certain level of success in your life, people don't think that you, that, how, well, how could you do that? Well, there, you know, you learn a lot of ways to, um, accommodate for your disability, whatever that disability happens to be. Right. And I hate to call them disabilities because I don't even know if I feel like it's a disability. I just learn and operate differently. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and I more embrace it now where when I was young, I very much tried to hide it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, you are amazing. You are well, absolutely you. amazing, Heidi. And thank you so much for all that you do, you know, for, for our listeners. You know, they should know that you've helped found multiple organizations dedicated to advancing women and um, certainly in the Quad Cities. And, and I can say that I've benefited that from that at, at Women Lead Change. Heidi's a former board member and instrumental in ensuring that we are still here and even stronger 15 years after the beginning. So thanks for all you do professionally and personally. Oftentimes we have to see it to be it, my friend, and or in this case, maybe hear it to be it. So you never know who you're going to touch. And it's my hope that you know somebody listening to this decides to, um, you know, have an impact on their own life the way that you have you have done with yours. Well, I appreciate the time. It's always fun to chat. And um, as you know, Women Lead Change for me has been also provided in my life over the last, oh my God, decade and a half, inspiration to change some of the things I do and inspiration to do more for other women. Although I know, I always say the position of women and girls in the state of Iowa, I do mean more globally than that. But the work that you guys have done is amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Those words mean a lot to us. Thanks, everybody. And everybody uh, watch for Heidi Parkhurst at Shattering World Records at, at Ironman <laughs> or Marathon near you. Thanks, my friend. Be well.
one of the things that I will take away from this conversation is what Heidi said about our bodies, that they are so much more capable than we even imagine. And, and what a gift that through her training, it allows her to be grateful for what her body can do every day. I can take that and do something with it. April 8th is the final day to purchase in-person tickets for the ICR Iowa Conference. Coming back to Cedar Rapids on April 26th and 27th. Central Iowa friends, join us for a workshop with Libby Gill about leading through change and challenge. That's on May 18th. Tickets are available at wlcglobal.org. Quad Cities, we've got a workshop for you too. Courtney Meisner joins us on May 19th for a half-day workshop on boundaries at home and at work. Register today at wlcglobal.org. The Women Lead Change store is open. We have apparel, books, drinkware, and more at wlcstore.myshopify.com. Follow Women Lead Change on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate that so much. More information on all things WLC, including tickets, can be found at wlcglobal.org. <laughs>